Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's Live in the Bream with host of Fox News at Night, Shannon Bream. This week on Live in the Bream, somebody you see all over the airwaves of Fox News, he breaks the most incredible stories that, listen, when I get an email or a DM from him, half the time I'm like, is this for real or is this Babylon B? And 100% of the time, it's a real story. You know him, you love him. Seattle-based talk radio host at KTTH, Jason Rance. Welcome, my friend. Thank you for having me. I feel like... I say this every time you send me a story or a tip or something that you're working on, like that can't actually be real. Is it just where you live? You've got a lot of material, my friend. You know what? I, I've been thinking about that. I imagine that I could probably find these stories in a lot of big cities or, mm-hmm. or just left-leaning areas. I I cover them because no one else does. I mean, it, it's so much easier to, to track these stories here because there's so few conservative outlets or media personalities. And even when there's a clear story that sort of transcends any political take, but because it, it might be perceived as, you know, slap in the face of progressives, folks here just don't want to touch it. And so it, it's so much easier. It gives me a lot more time to actually find the stories. Otherwise, I feel like I would be rushed all the time and wouldn't actually get to understand what these stories are about. Well, yeah, because you dig in, you get records, you do FOIA requests, you talk to, you know, law enforcement officers off the record, on the record, parents, school officials. I mean, I just don't even know where to start with all the stories. We'll get to those. But what I want to know is about you and how you got to where you are first, um, where you are in the position to have this fascinating talk radio show to be with us and on Fox. And you're very generous with your time. Um, But to get into this idea of reporting and digging and finding these stories what was your path Uh, so i am and always have been a talk radio nerd i Mm -hmm. wanted to be in radio since i was probably 12 or 13 i just fell in love with this kind of medium where you know you get to you get to go long form you get to talk and have these personal conversations or at least you get the perception as a listener that you actually know the person that you're listening to especially when you're spending like three hours a day with them you develop this connection and i developed that with a whole bunch of different radio hosts when i was younger and i i reached out to one weekend radio show in los angeles where i grew up and i basically asked them if they were looking for any interns and they said, actually, we're looking to start a kids sports show about the Ooh. L.A. Dodgers. Would you be interested in coming in to talk about it? And I was 15 at the time and I got that job probably because it's very difficult to find anyone who's 15 years old. <laughs> they can put on the radio. But I did that. And it was just a blast. And I, I kind of worked my way up at different radio stations. There were one or two were the, the big focus for me in, in L.A. And I did literally every job i started as a screener i worked on the board i then got to become an associate producer and then i was the executive producer of a syndicated show 
And I just kept working my way up. And once I moved out to Seattle, after I took a job up here, there was an opening for a, a host on weekends. And I put my name in the running, got it. And then I kind of developed from there. I mean, you make such a good point in that I think a lot of people uh, who look at any media industry will say, I want to right out of college do X, Y, Z. But the fact that as a kid, you were willing to take on all these different jobs and as an adult where you're, you know, I've done this making coffee, you're answering the phones, you're doing not the glamorous stuff, but you're learning the whole way. I mean, everything has got purpose to it. You're, you're making contacts, you're figuring out how to do things. And I find now that it's helpful to have all those things. So I feel incredibly blessed that I have producers and writers and amazing people I work with, but in a pinch that I know how to, you know, chase a story and log a tape and do that kind of stuff. So encourage young people that there's purpose in all those menial things that you think maybe in the beginning, like this is not my dream job, but it's maybe a foot in the door. You, you are so right. And I was having this conversation with a colleague today where we were looking at some younger people in our industry and they happen to be coming off as very, very lazy where we've had this conversation sort of ad nauseum about the work-life balance. And I'm thinking to myself, you are 22 years old. You do not get a work-life balance. <laughs> no, heck, I'm still have, working on that. <laughs> yeah, I still don't have a work-life balance. If you actually want to get ahead and you want to earn it and, and you truly want to understand and, and better your craft, you have to be willing to make some sacrifices. And, you know, if you're in a job, regardless of the industry in which you're unwilling to make certain sacrifices, that's okay. But don't come up with this entitlement complex that you are worth more than than you are actually worth in a building because you're not willing to go above and beyond and really, truly understand the intricacies of whatever it is you do, especially when you're younger. Like, believe me, I love taking vacations. I like to travel a lot. And usually I'll go for like two weeks in Europe once a year. Enjoy mm. that. And even then, I mean, the last time I was in Europe, I was on your show. What, twice? Exactly. We should not bother you. Oh, my goodness. No, but I but I feel driven to do it. And I would be I mean, I'm a talk show host, so I'm naturally miserable, but I would be so much more miserable <laughs> if I didn't actually enjoy what I did. And I think that maybe that's why it doesn't feel like a sacrifice per se, even though I recognize, you know, I'm sacrificing. I don't have a life, but I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I, well, and I totally get it. I mean, especially um, when you're working your way up and even once you're kind of still, you know, making it and doing your thing, you're going to work holidays and overnights and weekends. And when there's big stuff happening and you're going to fill other people's shifts and you're going to, you know, if you love it, it really is an exciting kind of privilege to do all those things. And yeah, I'm not sure I'm really good when young people come to me about work-life balance because I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, you don't I love one. what I you... do. And so I'm willing to work all the time, but I choose that because I do love it. And yeah. clearly you love what you do too. It's a, it's such a unique, uniquely millennial position. And I say that as a millennial, <laughs> I'm 40 years old. I just snuck in and consider myself one, but it, it I don't know. I never heard my parents or grandparents ever talk about work the way that millennials do. And I'm not saying that there doesn't have to be a little bit more balance than yeah. the, you know the, the industry was before. But boy, have we just swung so far to one side where you actually what you hear when you're talking to these folks is they want an imbalance. They don't want a balance. They want an imbalance towards, uh, you know, life and experiences. And again, I get it. Number one, you maybe are in the wrong industry whatever it is you're doing. Right, right. If you, you know, sort of dread going into work. And number two, you can, you have to earn that. You have to earn that position 
where you get to take more time off and and get to have more of a leisurely life unless you're born into wealth you're gonna have to earn it and the earning comes when you're 22 23 24 going into your 30s mm-hmm. and then you get to really truly in, enjoy what it is you've earned after you've done the legwork yeah and i would say Listen, honestly, the more that you progress, in some cases, the more in demand you're going to be. And so if that's going well, if you've planted all those seeds in your career and it's paying off, you have to know that might be part of it and that um, you may not get to a place where you're going to coast or it may just come later than you think. And you may be so engaged in enjoying what you're doing so much, you may not want to coast. You know, you may want to stay plugged in, engaged in all those places. So this is our meeting today of Workaholics Anonymous, mm-hmm. Jason and Shane. not anonymous at we, all. We're not anonymous because we love it. <laughs> so I have to ask you about some of the stories and the craziness that you have covered. There's so many things. So let's start here. Let's start with schools and with young people and some of the stuff that you have uncovered out there in the Northwest that's gone on internally that maybe parents have been shocked to find out about. It is it is remarkable because I could go back and probably look at two dozen or so stories I've written on this topic and still not even come close to looking at all the stuff I've talked about. And it's because it's just so crazy and so prevalent. I remember covering a story, it was either last year, maybe a year and a half ago, where there's this focus, hyper-focus on racial identity and identity politics, especially in schools. And this was a little bit, I think, before the CRT topic kind of exploded. And I found one school district reclassifying Asian students as white students because they were doing too well. And it hurt their talking point that communities of color struggle in schools. And it it was just so wrong and so offensive, but also indicative of this sort of path that we're going down that if you don't get the right results or you don't get the data that you want because you have this preconceived notion and Republicans do it as well. Everyone does it. But you can't just change facts to suit your (laughs) your narrative. Yeah, it's just remarkable. And to see how far things have devolved. When it comes to racial identity, it used to be that we weren't supposed to be so focused on race, that when you see someone, you're not supposed to see the person as an identity, but as an individual who is unique, who can give to you a perspective that is worth listening to. But now we're supposed to presume that because someone's Asian or black or Latino or white, that they fall into some kind of characteristic or stereotype. We have schools here that I've covered recently, Seattle and Issaquah, which is about 20 minutes or so from Seattle, separating students and parents for meetings into different racial groups, affinity groups, they call them. Mm. So we're holding the black parent group uh, on Monday at 5 p.m. as we search for a new superintendent. And that just seems so wrong to me, but it's happening all the time. We'll have more Live in the Bream in a moment. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. 
you know, you uncover material and curriculum and all kinds of things um, that come up. And, you know, parents have gotten so much more engaged the last couple of years, at least in a lot of the areas that we cover. Would you say that's true in the Northwest as well? Do they have a more hands-off approach to public school or have they gotten more involved there? It was, so it depends on where in Washington you're looking. There are definitely some spots where parents have organized online to push back at what they perceive to be a, a misalignment with their own values and principles. And there have been others that really do just, they refuse, especially in Seattle, they just refuse to criticize anything that a teacher does, anything that the school board does, because they feel like they're turning on their belief system by acknowledging a fault, which I find to be so dangerous and so counterproductive. But I do think that after COVID happened and teachers just refused to go back into the classroom and the students were clearly suffering both intellectually, academically, but but also emotionally, I, I did get the sense that no longer was it a reality that teachers can do no wrong. And I'm a fan of good teachers. I think we should celebrate good teachers the same way we should celebrate good police officers and good nurses and doctors, whatever it happens to be. But not everyone is perfect. And you have to be able to call out the instances in which they go too far. And we see so much of that. We had a school here on 9-11 canceling an event that was supposed to be a, a, a memory of the the lives lost. And they canceled the event because they thought it might offend some people. It's like 9-11. Yeah, it, it is so ridiculous. I know it, it didn't make any sense whatsoever. And when I called it out, I got this immediate pushback from a lot of these left wing parents at that school about how I was attacking them. And I just don't see the other side. I'm like, sometimes there isn't another side and you just hold a position <laughs> that needs to be called out because it's just oh, it's dangerous. But oftentimes I hear from students. And this always makes me uncomfortable. I was like, please talk to your parent before you talk to me. I don't want to be taking any information from you if your parents don't know. But they reach out mm-hmm. to me and they tell me that this is out- outrageous and they don't know what to do and they don't feel comfortable saying anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's tricky because kids are so impressionable, um, yep. especially younger. But it takes a lot for a kid or a teenager to raise the red flag on something when the authority figure they probably look up to and spend the day with uh, most days is going to be that teacher in the room. Like you said, so many great ones out there. My mom was a teacher forever. And I know that most of them do this out of the goodness of their heart. They feel called into this, into education. Yeah. But somewhere along the line, um, some of them, we will say some percentage, like in all uh, career paths and all industries, um, get off track. Okay, also off track, the issue of crime and how it has been treated out there by some judges, by some prosecutors that you often track as well. There have been so many crazy stories that I covered with you. Well, every it's single just one that you this. had a couple of weeks ago about a judge who maybe got assaulted or accosted by someone yes. and then didn't want to help. Uh, investigate or prosecute the person? Yeah, didn't what was to, that all about? The the judge didn't want to participate in the investigation. And <laughs> the person I who could, came after them. Yeah, they, they were assaulted on the way into the courthouse by, as memory recalls, a homeless man who is potentially dealing with some sort of mental health crisis, as is often the case with, with a lot of these stories. And police weren't called by the judge. It was a security officer who works at the King County Courthouse who saw this happen on surveillance footage, 
told, I believe it was, they told the sheriff's deputy who then called police to get some, he, the, the judge didn't want to participate. And, and I don't know hmm. why he never responded to any of our requests for comment. And I, I can speculate a whole bunch of things. Maybe he didn't want to be a part of the story because it obviously is a story or maybe he's got a light on crime record. I, I have no idea, but it just seems so weird, but also indicative of the problem. If you don't actually report these things, whether it's an assault or just a car break in, well, we're not collecting the data to give an accurate reflection of what's going on in the city, which means you can't actually come up with solutions. We are not tracking in a lot of cases, we're not tracking the non-emergency number that people can call to report something to the police that isn't an imminent threat. So instead of someone in your house breaking in at the time that you're there, that you call 911. You come home from a vacation and you realize someone broke in, you call the non-emergency number. Well, they don't have enough staff to actually pick up the phone. And so they just turn it offline and they turn it offline for large portions of the month and they don't track how many missed calls they even receive. So no matter what data we get at the end of this year, when we were looking at the statistics and whether or not something's going up or going down, it's going to be wrong. And thus, it's not going to be taken as seriously as it probably should be. Well, I mean, yeah, it's hard to make decisions about staffing or funding or anything else um, when you don't have that. Um, So let's talk about another story that you've been reporting on in recent days that has to do with I'm not sure the best way to describe this person, um, but they want to lead instruction for young people as young as nine on very adult topics. That's about the most sanitized way I can put that. Well, so we can give her official title. She's a school board director. She's a school (laughs) board director in Bellingham, Washington. She also owns an adult themed shop um, in which she is hosting this sex education workshop. And she owns this place. She owns the place. She's also a coach at this place. We don't have to get into too many of the details, but she's (laughs) your imagination, people. I think you all can figure it out. Um, She's hosting students as young as nine. There's two different groups, nine to 12 year olds and 13 to 17 year olds. What? Now, the 13 to 17 year olds taking aside the location of this, which I think is clearly inappropriate. Super creepy. I I'm I'm have no problem with with age appropriate sex education mm-hmm. where parents are aware that it's going on and it's based in science. Nine years old is too young. And when you look at some of the topics that they posted on their event page, which says they're going to teach about the kinds of sexual activities that a kid could experience, presumably as an adult. But you're telling this to nine year olds. I think that that's sexualizing kids and getting into gender and sex identity that's just too young for nine years old. And she downplays, her name is Jen Mason. She downplays the curriculum. She says, oh, don't worry, it's going to be age appropriate. But I don't think it's ever age appropriate for a nine-year-old to learn about sexual anatomy for pleasure, which again right. is directly from their the, the event site. But this person is a school board official. And to yes. be around children and to also offer this, I, if I'm a parent, I've got a lot of questions and I'm not letting my kid go anywhere near this person. Yeah. And I think that that's the smart reaction to it. But as you point out, <laughs> even though this is a this is at her private business, she's not acting as a school board director. But mm-hmm. the fact that she's knowing. Board, yeah, but she's a school board director who does take positions and influence policy and, and has a say in the future of your child's education. And I just don't know whether or not this is someone who should be trusted. Now, this is an elected position, so it's ultimately up to the voters. And right. I think we knew at the time 
that she is the owner of a sex shop, right? So I guess they're okay with it. In Bellingham, Washington, which is close to the border with Canada, that has become very, very far to the left in a lot of ways. It's like a mini Seattle. So I can't say that I'm ever shocked per se or surprised by any of this, but it it just seems to me, it just seems so wrong because I constantly being gaslit into being told it's not an issue and that I'm crazy for holding a position. I'm like, I don't think I'm the crazy one. Well, you know, I would think that some people would disagree. Like I said, when I hear these stories, I'm always like, is that for real? Um, The scary yet newsworthy thing and what makes Jason so great is that they are real and that he chases them down. He gets the facts. He gets behind the scenes. He gets the documents. He gets the people. And um, you can enjoy him all the time on KTTH uh, radio where he does his thing. And um, like I said, we are so blessed when he comes and joins us on Fox, too. And um, as the day we are recording this, which is Thursday, you will be on with us on Fox News at night tonight. And we're looking forward to it. I am looking forward to it as well. I don't stay up late for many people, but for you, I do. Well, I and my team are very, very grateful. And we look forward to um, breaking up some stories tonight that that are actually the legit, the real deal, just like you are, Jason. Thank you for being with us on Living the Brain. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.